Evangelism is not for the weak. All right, I should know. I wrote a whole book about it. Self-published. Most Christians, they are just good for bake sales and potluck dinners. But I'm telling you this right now. It takes a lot of moxie to grab a non-believer by the shirt collar and throw him in the front doors of a church and say, Hey, try living out your heathen life in front of a holy God that way. It is like holy water and a vampire. That's divine intervention, my friend. Repent for the kingdom of the Lord is nigh. Come to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am. Um, and you should also be okay. passionate about the Lord. Sir, if there's you need to get sanctified or chicken fried. Can we you need to get with the Lord or drive a Ford. Sir, we get right or get left. I share my faith. Okay, that's a lie. People don't even know I'm a Christian. I want to. Again, another lie. I hardly shower, much less have the will to do anything else. Okay. Now, if there was pizza and ice cream every time there was faith sharing, I'd do it. That's a lie. I'm lactose intolerant. Again, another lie. I'm just too cheap to buy dairy. Bottom line, sharing my faith makes me sweaty. Uh, tip number 95, um, use big church words like transubstantiation. Heathens get confused easily, and the more confused they are, the more ashamed they are. The more ashamed they are, the more apt they are to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I believe it's a responsibility, no, the privilege, no, the glorious privilege of every believer to share their faith with others. That's why I share my faith with everyone I come in contact with. Everyone, really? <laughs> yeah, everyone. How do you do that? Uh, Check out my shirt. Can't read it? Try this glove. Not working for you? How about this bracelet? No comprendo? Vistazo a estos. <laughs> Driving behind me? Read my bumper sticker. says, it's okay if you follow close. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> oh, you're my waiter or waitress? I got a tip for you. Surprise! It's the gospel. I mean, what do you want, money or eternity? <laughs> I also use these tracks. <laughs> so what about talking to people about your faith? I, I don't really like people, but I love Jesus. <laughs> Scripture mint? Hi, my name is George. And I'm Jorge, and together we're George and Jorge. Right, right. Uh, what we like to do is to take secular songs and reprogram them. Yes, the purpose is for evangelism. We like to take songs to the unbelieving world and make it believable. Right, right. Let us give you a sample right now. Hey, Well, they were the neighbors that everyone dreads might move in next door. During the summer, they would let the weeds grow up knee-high. They didn't always take trash out to the street. Sometimes they'd just let it accumulate on the front porch and around the house. 
And, of course, on weekends they would have parties that would go sometimes into the small hours of the morning. And it wasn't just that they were loud. They would park cars in Joe's lawn, even when it was wet, and they would dig deep ruts in the sod. You will understand what I mean when I tell you this was the neighbor from hell. Now, Joe was just the opposite. And by the way, I'm changing his name because if I used his real name, you would recognize it. Joe was just the opposite. He kept his house maintained. He kept up his yard. If there was anything you needed help with, Joe was the guy to go and ask. More important than that, he was a believer. And he was respected by the other believers in the assembly. In the assembly... Joe would speak the Word of God with boldness and with accuracy. Nobody had anything against Joe. But he hated that neighbor. One one morning, while he was with the assembly of believers, Joe heard the voice of God speak to his heart. It was unmistakable. It was the voice of God. And God said to him, go talk to that neighbor and tell him about salvation. And Joe almost stood up in the middle of the servant and said, ha! But he kept it all inside. The reluctance, the word from God, kept it inside. After the service, he got the family in the car. They came through the parking lot, got to the street. And instead of turning right to go home, he turned left. And he announced, much to his wife's delight, we are going out for lunch. A little while later, after they got home, about an hour after lunch, Joe got sick. Violently ill. His wife got him into the emergency room. And the ER doctor diagnosed it as... Food poisoning. And he said, you're going to live through it, but you're going to be weak for a while. And the doctor was right. For three full days, Joe was too weak to even leave the house. Finally, on the fourth day, he wasn't well enough to go back to work, but he took a walk around the neighborhood. Just took a walk around the block. He came around that final turn, the home stretch. And there was the neighbor. There were always three or four cars in the the yard. And this time he had the hood up and was bent over the engine of one of them. Joe remembered what God had said to him. And he remembered the promise that he made while his head hung over the rim of the toilet bowl. And he started up the driveway. Well, they started talking about cars and Joe said he had a tool that he could loan him, but before he went to fetch it, he, he changed the subject a little bit, turned the conversation, and found out that his neighbor was very concerned. There were rumors at work that his job was going to be outsourced, and they had a teenager in trouble. And before he could stop it, the words just tumbled out. Joe said, God can help. And then the Holy Spirit just took over. And he started talking about God's love. And he started to talk about a rescue from punishment. And the neighbor wept. Right there in the driveway, the man just broke down and cried. 
Later in the evening when his wife got home from work, Joe sat down with the whole family and talked to them about God's love and salvation. And then he called his minister, had him unlock the doors, and Joe baptized the whole family into Jesus Christ. Now the names were changed. The circumstances were updated, but that's a true story. The story of Joe is really a mirror of the story of Jonah. I told it said in modern times, with a little freedom taken with the characters, but the principles are the same. Jonah was called by God to go to preach to Nineveh. Jonah was very reluctant to preach to the citizens of Nineveh, even though they had a great need for salvation. He was reluctant to go when God called him. He reacted immediately. He got on a ship and fled in the opposite direction. While he was on the ship, the ship was tossed by a storm. And the sailors on the ship, the experienced seamen, were so afraid that their ship was going to be destroyed. So these superstitious sailors started to cast lots to see who was responsible for this. Well, it was no surprise to Jonah that it was him. He knew that he was trying to escape the command of God. And so these sailors started to ask him some questions. They wanted to know who he was. They wanted to know where he was from. They wanted to know what God he served. In effect, we might say they were asking him, Who do you play for? And Jonah replies in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. This morning we come to the conclusion of a three-part sermon series in which I have been asking, who do you play for? And we have discovered from God's Word that it's not about you. It's not about you, it's about God. It's not about you, it's about serving. It's not about you. And today the emphasis is, it's about them. So let me read for you from the book of Jonah. The first 11 verses of the book of Jonah. Excuse me, the first nine, the first nine verses of the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, Come. Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making this trouble for us? 
What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Eugene Patterson explains the reluctance of Jonah in an article in Leadership Magazine. He wrote, Jonah's sulking disappointment came from a failure of imagination, a failure of heart. He had no idea what God was doing, the largeness of his love and mercy and salvation. He had reduced his vocation to his own performance. He was doing the right thing, going to the right places, but he interpreted everything through his Jonah ideas. His Jonah desires. What Jonah did not realize was that it was not about him. It was about the inhabitants of Nineveh. The Old Testament prophet Nahum gives us a peek into the lives of these people in Nineveh. He describes them as ruthless. He describes them as a bloodthirsty people. They would build monuments to their cruelty. They would write long about how they had tortured and killed anyone who would oppose them. So Israel and Jonah had very good reasons to hate the people of Nineveh. But God loved them. Jonah was enraged by their wickedness and God saw a ripeness for change. God was teaching Jonah that it's not about him. I bring that same idea to you this morning. It's not about you. It's about them. Let's not fall into that same trap of selfishness that Jonah did. When I was in Bible college during my senior year, Calvin and Peggy Lindell lived one floor above us in an on-campus housing apartment. And they had a little boy named Joshua. And Joshua had become intrigued by his belly button. It had always been there, but he discovered it and was fascinated by it. And Peggy had to dress him in bib overalls so that he couldn't reach his belly button. Because he had pulled and, and, and uh, prodded and poked at it so much that it got red and swollen and inflamed. Churches can develop a similar problem. Always looking in, but not looking out. And we become lulled into a complacency of naval gazing oblivion, looking down at ourselves and not looking out at the world, a world that desperately needs the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's an example of what I mean by that. I'm wondering if there isn't somebody in the room who is more concerned than a little while ago, in church I said, the neighbor from hell. And you're more concerned that I said that than you are about your neighbor who's going to hell. 
Just as it's unhealthy for little Joshua to pay so much attention to himself, it's unhealthy for a church to pay too much attention to herself. And there will be times that we'll be tempted to close ourselves off, to become, pre, to become preoccupied with our needs, our struggles, our challenges, our pain. And we get enticed like little Joshua to pick at our own belly buttons. Think about little Josh from this perspective. He had the whole world to explore. Frogs and bugs and marbles and rocks, key rings, and anything that he could reach when his mom wasn't looking. But instead, he was obsessed with his belly button. And that can happen to us. I'm going to ask you a really hard question. Has it happened to you that you have been quietly drawn into a navel-gazing oblivion? Have you, like Jonah, become focused on you and yours? Well, let's go back to Jonah. Let's go to Jonah 3 and, to re- and rediscover what happened. What happened when Jonah shifted his attention from himself to the people of Nineveh? Let me read for you the first ten verses of Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go all through it. Jonah started into the city going a day's journey. And he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had promised. Jonah did what we would not expect. If you didn't already know the story, you would not expect Jonah to go into the city of Nineveh and to preach to those people. And the people in the city did what we would not expect. This bunch of wild heathens had rejected God, rejected decency, morality, had rejected right living for generations. And there was no reason for, to expect them now to change. But they did. That is the power 
of the Word of God. Now, some people suggest that after three days in a fish, that Jonah would have been a sight that would have attracted some attention. I picture him being somewhat yellowish and prunish after three days in stomach bile. And with an appearance like that, it's likely that people, number one, would have paid attention and number two, would have believed his fish story. But the power, the real power was in the message of God. It was God's message that changed them. So what is it going to take? What is it going to take for us to be like Jonah? What is it going to take for us to reach out to the lost? Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish before he realized the imperative of being obedient to God and proclaiming this message of salvation. Now, I do realize that the fishers is not the Nineveh of the world. People don't describe this area as ruthless and bloodthirsty. Nobody in Hamilton County has gone into a theater and shot dozens of people. This isn't Colorado. It's not Los Angeles or New York. We're part of the Bible Belt. And we are surrounded by lots of Christians. At the same time, there are plenty of people just within a stone's throw of your building who have never met Jesus Christ. I know there are needs in this community. I know that they're right here in this community. There are people who need food. I know there are people who need shelter, people who need medicine. I don't know what all of the needs are, but I know that every one of them has this need. Every person in this community needs the saving power of Jesus Christ. Fortunately, you have a good base here at Prairie View to bring people in. This is a warm and loving church. So I want to offer you just a few ideas to make your services just a touch more visitor friendly. To make your church a stronger magnet for Christ. Darren Walter offers some key actions in his book, The People Magnet Church. These are essential for making visitors welcome. He lists first, introduce. And when I say introduce, what I'm saying is go out of your way. If you don't know a face and a, 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 a name that goes with a face, or if you see a face that you don't recognize, stick out your hand. Introduce yourself to that person. Take a little time and discover something about one another. Act interested. You prove your interest by asking questions. And then, even more importantly than asking the questions, actually listening to what someone says. Don't just act interested, but be interested in other people. Next, invest. Investment takes the most time, but it has the biggest payoff. Just like a money investment, the more you invest, the more you benefit. With people who are ripe for change, a significant investment in his or her life can produce a life-changing experience. 
The story of Joe demonstrates that. Joe was making no difference at all in his neighbor's life until he invested some time and some energy into his neighbor. Also invite. Most of you have probably invited someone to come to church with you at some point. This is critical. There are things that churches can do to get some attention for themselves. They can put up signs and they can put up banners. They can host special events. But the most important thing to growing a church is for you to invite people to come to church with you. Before you invite, be sure that you're willing to invest the time and the effort to follow up with that person. Make sure you're going to be free to sit with that person during the church service and to acknowledge that person as a guest and help introduce him or her around. Next or and last, we must involve. Most of us want to be involved in something that is bigger than just us. And so we need to be willing to involve people in this thing that is bigger than all of us. Here's my real challenge for you. See from a different perspective. Imagine yourself as an outsider looking in. Donna and I have had wonderful opportunities to do that this summer. We've had the opportunity to visit some different churches. And we just we walk in, we don't know anybody, and it is a lot of fun to see how people respond to us, how they react to us, how they treat us. Somewhere down the road, that's going to make a difference in the way we respond when people walk through the doors of our church. So I want to encourage you, if you're on vacation or you take a weekend getaway, or you decide you're just going to, to, to uh, visit a strange church, let me, and let me tell you, there are some strange churches out there. But if you're going to go visit a church, pay attention. Pay attention to how people treat you. Pay attention to what they do well and what they don't do so well. And then when you come back to Prairie View, you change the way that you're responding to people and make sure that people get a warm welcome. Respond to your guests the same way that you would want Christ to respond to you. Because after all, it's not about you. It's about them. One of the most effective ways to reach out to people is to minister to their children. Ministry to teens, music ministry, sports ministry, supporting overseas missions, all of those things are essential. And I don't discount them at all. At the same time, there are a very few key elements that are present in every effective growing church across America. And one of those key elements is excellent children's ministry. From what I have seen, Prairie View has a very good children's program. The wee ones are well taken care of. They are safe. They are loved. And they learn. Now let me guess at something. This is just a guess based on 30 years of working with people in churches and helping to recruit people to work in children's ministry. When your children's coordinators talk to the most talented and most able people to work with children 
very often they get a response like, it's really important for me to sit with my family during worship. Or they might hear, I just really don't enjoy working with children. Or they might hear, I did my time in children's ministry. Now I'm just going to sit back and watch. If you have said something like that, I need to remind you of something. It's not about you. It's about them. It's about the little children learning about the love of Jesus while their hearts are still young and tender. It's about ministering to those struggling young parents. It is about being effective in translating the Word of God from between the leather covers and into someone else's heart. This is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to put on a pair of spiritual overalls so that you can't pick. It's your own navel. And when someone asks you to serve, especially in children's ministry, do all that you can do. Because it's about them. Now, I'm saving the most crucial element for evangelism for last. That is prayer. From beginning to end. First and last, all the way through without ceasing. Prayer. Something that I have found that is very effective for me is that as I am praying for someone who does not know Jesus Christ, I visualize that person's face. And that changes that prayer from just words to a plea that comes directly from my heart asking for the Spirit's intervention. So who are you praying for right now? Who are you praying for that that person will come to know the love of the salvation and hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ? Who are you praying for? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is it a co-worker? Is it someone from school? Could you expand that prayer list? Could you pray for a clerk at a grocery store or your hairstylist? Or could you pray for your mechanic? Could you become a prayer warrior fighting the battle to save lives? Consider consider the joy that Jesus has brought into your life and into your heart. And then determine that you're going to share that joy with someone else. Don't hide your light. Let it shine for everybody to see because it is not about you. It's about one soul that needs Jesus Christ. It's about one heart that Christ can mend. It's about one more life Jesus can touch. It's about them. So I want to ask you, how much are you like Joe? How much are you focused on, it's about me? How much are you like Joe, more concerned about your own needs and your own desires 
than you are about the salvation of someone else. How much are you like Joe? How much are you resisting the clear command of God? How much are you like Joe? Joe changed his attitude and he changed his behavior. He brought it in line with what God wanted. If you are ready to make that kind of change, if you're ready to make a turn, if you're ready to be obedient to what God is calling you to do, we're going to offer you an invitation. If you are ready to do more than just say, Jesus is Lord, if you are ready to live, Jesus is Lord, we're going to offer you an invitation. We offer you an invitation this morning. Today you could be baptized into Jesus Christ and find new life in Him. Maybe today you're ready to rededicate your life. Maybe you're ready today to say, I decided to follow Jesus a long time ago, but now, now I'm determined. It's going to be different. Maybe you've been doing something this morning. Maybe this morning you realize there's something you've needed to change for a long time. That you've been like Jonah. You've been running away from God. Is it time? Is this morning the time that you change direction? Would you like to have someone to pray with you about that? We're going to sing an invitation song. We're going to ask everybody to stand. And while we do, we're going to invite invite you to walk forward. I'm going to invite one of your elders. I'm going to ask Craig Hunter to come forward and just be here to greet you. If you need somebody to pray with you, if you want to talk to somebody about finding salvation in Jesus Christ, if you want to talk to somebody about how you share your faith with someone else, come tell us about that as we stand together to sing. Thank you very much, Matt. You're welcome. <laughs>